Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. Hi, everybody. We have Amit Nbal with us. And he's, for those of you who don't know him, he's an ex uh, pro Israeli windsurfer. And today he's uh, focusing more on coaching clinics for various water sports. That, And we have him on today to talk to us about different spots that have uh, traveling spots that are maybe off the beaten track a little bit and that have mostly been made possible by winging that haven't been that interesting but for kite surfing or windsurfing. But now with winging, we've had that opened up. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, it's a treat to, to, to be here. Um, I think, regard to what you were saying, for me, the best example for... Uh, a destination that opened up for winging and was never an option for a, a windsurfing or kite surfing. Uh, for me, this place would be Chikama because uh, I've been I've been riding Chikama for the last decade, the last ten years, at least twice a year, coaching uh, sub clinics and surfing clinics in Chikama and. I'm coming from a windsurfing background and kitesurfing background. Um, and because the the wave, the bay is surrounded by a really big cliff. It's like, I would say like 30 to 50 meters high. So the wind doesn't blow all the way to the point. And so you cannot really kite or windsurf the wave of Chikama. Uh, it's too gusty, it's too protected. And whenever I started winging, I said, fuck, this is it because we can overtake the holes so easily with the foil and the wing. And and uh, from then on, you know, it's history. I, I've been there once just to try it out with one of my uh, camps and and uh, like a surf camp and uh, just for myself. And, and after the first session, I just realized, I mean, this is it. I mean... Uh, this place was never an option for any wind sport. It was very famous for uh, surfing and wave riding. And uh, from now on, this whole thing is going to change. I mean, this place is just too perfect for, for wave riding. Um, with the wing, because of the direction of the wind, the wave angle is just too perfect. And even though it's so gusty, it's so, so gusty, it can be from... Uh, zero to 25 knots, uh, small puffs of winds all over the bay. And if you're going in the right time, when the, the direction of the wind is more south easterly, uh, then you can really cover most of the bay. Uh, and this would never an option with any wind sport. And just now with winging, it's an option. And I think for myself, it's probably the best example how you can transfer place and from uh, not an option to be a paradise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everyone at home that doesn't know where Chikama is, it's close to the well-known Pacasmayo. Uh, it's kind of a similar setup, but a bit of a smaller wave and more clean uh, and longer than Pacas than Pacasmayo, to my understanding. Well, yeah. Um, Chikama, it's uh, yeah, it's like an hour drive from Pacasmayo. I think. Um, the wave of Pacasmayo, 
uh, has is a bit more steep, especially in low tide. Uh, the main difference between Pacasmayo and Chicama is that Pacasmayo, the landscape, it's relative kind of flat. So when the wind come across, it's 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 a bit it's still a bit gusty, but it's it's not as gusty as Chicama. So windsurfing, surfing can you know they can go slowly, slowly upwind towards the peak, and then uh, once they're on the wave, they rip. Um, I would say that the wind in Pacasmayo it's it's way lighter than the wind in Chicama. The wind in Chicama is way stronger, um, but it's so it's it's just crazy gusty. Um, and um, I think lengthwise. Uh, Chikama is probably way longer than Pacasmayo, uh, but both setups are perfect. You know, it's like. Uh, um, but for me, I brought Chikama up because it was never an option, as I said before, as as a wind sport location, and uh, Pacasmayo was always famous as a wind sport location, and now Chikama joined the, the game. You know, and and. And for me to be there to discover that was like a big thing, and and um, yeah, that would be unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I've been riding, I've been, I've been riding the the wave of Chikama using a boat assistance because the the wave is so long. So when I was surfing or supping, you know, it's like paddling like forty minutes back to the point, and with the boat you just go boom, 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 boom. Um, and now with the wing, it's even way more efficient because of the direction of the wind. It's like one tack to the point, and within two three minutes, you're back on the point, getting another another long ride. So it, it's kind of crazy. Um, so no boat needed anymore, I guess, is what you're saying. Well, no, you definitely need the boat because the wind is kind of off side offshore. So I'm using the boats uh, for uh, safety. In the okay. afternoon, that's when the wind is, uh, the, the wind is a thermical wind. So uh, in the morning, it's very light. That's when we use the boats for towing in. Uh, we're doing like four, four hour session towing in. Every three riders have their own boat. So it's kind of high end, kind of, uh, you, you get tons of waves. And that's when we do the prone towing in. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And then uh, when the wind picks up, uh, we're using the boats first for safety because the wind is kind of it's a side off up, all the way to offshore wind. So and it's a long way to go if you get into drama. So it's very okay. very important to have the boats for safety. And the other thing is when the size is is it's getting big. Even in Chicama, although the wave is very mellow and and makeable, uh, still to go with the wing and with the foil and everything through the beach break. Can be a bit of a mission for especially for people which are not very familiar with the uh, riding wave breaking waves. Um, okay. So we're using the boats, taking the the equipment and the riders through the beach break and do the rigging of the wings in the flat water after the break. So everything is calm and everything is very sterilized as far as uh, safety. And then when the session is finished deflate the, the wings on the boats and the boats take you back to the beach. So this, you can really ride the wave in a very safe way um, and enjoy, enjoy the energy of the wave without being in any stress. And at the same time, if you want to rip it and go very tight to the pocket, obviously you can, but uh, 
Mm -hmm. always recommend to the people that come to the camps you know start slow and just take it from there and and, and the progress will come day by day I'm just saying it sounds like a really good setup it kind of takes away the intimidating and challenging parts of getting into waves and makes it accessible and easy and having a long wave like that is just so easy to see the wave so easy to stay in the energy of the wave it's just perfect yeah i I think if, if somebody would have to, 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 to plan it and to draw it and to make it like a, for me, it's the, 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 the most perfect wave pool, natural, uh, God made. Uh, uh, it's just, it's really perfect. Uh, it's always with the high period uh, waves. So there's, I would say from 15 to 25 seconds uh, between each wave, so the waves are very clean. Uh, even though if you got caught inside, there's a lot of time for recovering. Uh, but still, at the same time, uh, I get people. I, I get to see people coming to Chikama without using uh, the facilities like boats and stuff. And if it gets into a big size, you can destroy all the equipment, and, and there's nothing there as far as rentals and stuff. I mean. You gotta bring everything down there. There's nothing there, so okay. just keep in just keep in mind. Yeah, for sure, that makes sense. So that that's a really cool example of, of what was made possible. And I know uh, on our end, where Luke and I ride back home uh, on the Great Lakes, there's another setup that's we used to windsurf a lot, and it would it'd be really pretty good uh, or quite quite good actually about you know five this episode is brought to you by saladita kite school in la ventana mexico if you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on instagram you'll have seen that i just got in a couple epic days of downwinding we got a 10 kilometer downwinder done with my buddy mickey from salt spring island today i got in an epic one with my friend Britt. um we went from latuna all the way to the beach and back um heck of a fun time if you're looking to learn there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at saladita kite school they are positioned at latuna and now that i've been here a little while i've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots it is one of the more beginner friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks um, they do offer professional jet ski assisted kite and wing foil lessons um, so once again, they're at Latuna. So if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there. So you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, so don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at saladitakiteschool at saladita kite school times a year and then mm -hmm. the rest of the time you'd always be hoping for those five times a year and then it, you know i was waiting for it but with the wing it's just opened up you know the other 50 times a year that it's windy there but it's just not every star lines up when all of a sudden you're just having this insane insane setup where you can ride super long waves definitely not chikama or like a smire long but really, really long waves and well organized, not too much power. So it's really great on a foil. And you can go back up wind in two seconds because you have a wing. 
So, you know, it's, it's definitely opened up things that before, even if they were an option, they might've been just mediocre a lot of the time and all of a sudden they're world-class. So yeah, totally. You were talking to us as well about, um, in Morocco, a spot that you, you found was now a lot more interesting because of the wing. Yeah, there's in Morocco, there are, there are a few places. Obviously, if we go down from down south, down to Dakhla, which is very famous for kite surfing, windsurfing. So you got the lagoons, which is the flat water, and then you got uh, the open ocean, um, which they built this kind of resort that kind of got blocked for the wind for, for kite surfing or windsurfing. And now with the winging, kind of open up. Uh, but for me personally, the place that kind of rocked for myself was, uh, uh, it's a place called Mir Left. It's down south, then Agadir. Uh, very unknown place. And um, with the winging now at the port, it's just amazing conditions. And you got this old port down there that kind of blocked the wind. And again, with the wing, with the gusty, the wind that you have there is just, uh, very makeable, and before that, with kite surfing or or windsurfing was just another option. So for me, that's another example of uh, getting a place that was not rideable and and becomes uh, it becomes magic. Um, yeah, th those for me, those two places are, are very very uh, unique. But at the bottom end, I think the setup that we've got in Chikama. It's just unbeatable. It's just, it's just too perfect. I mean, for me, uh, the idea of riding a wave—that's the whole thing. It doesn't matter really what I'm riding, and to get the experience of riding uh, four to five minutes ride, uh, I, I can't find it anywhere else in the world. And, and Chikama just brings the whole package, uh, and the sensation of riding the wave. Um, uh, first, the, the distance, the time, and also the safety. I mean, uh, I like to charge. I definitely like to charge, but I also uh, like to know that can, I can play in a nice playground, but very safe playground. For me, mm -hmm. it makes sense. And um, I mean, I like to, to, um, to push myself uh, very much. But at the same time, I like to play it safe. And for me, this combination, Chikama provided at the highest level. Yeah, I can totally agree. Well, I think a, a big thing for me about water sports is that you can really, depending on the setup, you can really push yourself. You can really kind of go as quite far out of your comfort zone and, re and stay in a very relatively safe environment as opposed to, say, skiing or mountain biking or skateboarding, you know, all these other sports where you're on hard ground and when you're up 20 feet in the air and you crash, it's going to hurt a lot. Yeah. I always tell my friends that uh, bring everything. I'd love to try anything up, but it has to be water. It has to be on water. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I don't mind. I mean, for me, for me, being a beginner and learn something new, that's that's what it's all about. Um, I like I like having the challenge of learning something from scratch. I like uh, I mean I had my windsurfing career and brought this to perfection. And 
then dive all the way into kite surfing and learn the whole thing again and then foiling and then we I really love the learning process I really love you know waking up in the morning and and uh yeah trying to conquer something new and 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 yeah just to push it but staying safe at the same time as you know it goes together it doesn't need to be uh you know learning something new and and doing it in a dangerous way um yeah for my age i think <laughs> that's how you see it now i mean i would love to hear a bit about how you got into windsurfing and into your water sports if we can get the folks at home to to get to know you a little bit better um when did your journey into all these sports start well uh i was born and raised in a small village on the coast of israel uh i got into surfing when i was seven seven years old we had a small house right on the beach uh then my brother got into windsurfing uh and he, he went into the competitive side of it very quick. And uh, then uh, my dad, which was very dominating kind of dad, he kind of pushed me to get into windsurfing so I can be my brother's training partner. Um, okay. That's how it started. I must say I hated it in the, be <laughs> in the beginning. Um, too much equipment. You know, the, it's the other way you can from surfing that you just grab your board and leash and just go and uh, here you got all the mast and booms and sails and blah. Uh, so um, yeah, I got into that to, to, to be my brother's training partner. And I think uh, it, it's been like that for like two years uh, that on the weekend, my brother would go for competitions and that was my free time to surf uh, okay. until the family said, okay, we, you know, everybody's going to the competition, so might as well come over and, you know, do it. Um, and I wasn't really up to it. And I think the first event that I went, something really kind of opened up in my personality. I kind of, the competitive side of me just burst and, and just, I kind of loved the energy of competing. And, and I think my life just switched that, that day. I was like 12 and when that happened. Um, and then since then, until I was like 30 years old, that was my whole life. Uh, uh, when I was 12, I decided I want to be a world champion and, and, uh, I want to do the Olympic games. Um, and that's, I just followed my dreams until I kind of reached nearly all of them. Um, I did, uh, three campaigns for the Olympics. I competed in two Olympic Games in Barcelona and Sydney. Uh, retired from Olympic competitions and being an uh, active athlete uh, 2000. Um, okay. Yeah, and ever since then, got hooked into kite surfing, uh, then supping, foiling, uh, winging, and when I get into something, I really like to do it like uh, all in and um, really to put time in it and to, to master it the best way I can until the next thing comes along and just, you know, just to do the whole thing again. And, and, and working with people, uh, personally, it's a very re rewarding uh, for myself, um, taking people from uh, one level and, and within 
relatively short time make a big significant change in their technique so they can jump in their level so for me personally it's a uh, um, very inspiring to see how I can change people's life in a way. Uh, so mm. I feel very, I feel very blessed and and rewarded, and you know, doing what I like, and and yeah, I'm, I feel blessed. Definitely feel blessed. Nice, yeah. I can, I can definitely relate. We both have uh, coached uh, wind sports at different times and, and different levels and it's it's a very rewarding experience to get people that you know are already have maybe a little bit of experience but they're not doing what they want to be doing yet and then just giving them the little bit of a push that they need or the little bit of a modification and technique that they need or maybe even you know showing them how to set up their gear a little differently and all of a sudden you from not being able to turn to making all their turns and like, whoa, okay, that was cool. <laughs> well, definitely. I mean, you mentioned gear. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I got my gear approach is very, uh, very, uh, I don't know if it's old school or very different. I'm, I'm, I'm a very uh, unequipment kind of guy. Uh, obviously, I'm very curious about the new things and what's changing, but at the same time, uh, I'm looking at the chase of people chasing the, the, the newest gear and the, the, the fastest and the, the, the high aspect and low aspect and me aspect. And, uh, and instead of spending more time in the water on the same set that you've got, learn it. The, the, the more you use it, the, the, the better foiler you get. Uh, and and just changing and changing and changing and changing and changing all the time, chasing this uh, endless chase of, um, and I mean, I've got a shop back home. Uh, it, uh, my philosophy is not very uh, hard sailing, but uh, at the same time, uh, this is this is the way I see things, and and for me. Yeah, if, if you buy in a certain equipment, you want to use it for a certain time and to learn it and not to replace it all the time with something else. Um, it's a not very commercial way, but uh, it's for me the true way. I can see it for myself. If I've been, for example, when I started foiling, I was, uh, I'm still a go foil kind of guy and I was using the, the Kai for such a long time. And then the Iowa, I was using the Iowa for so long. Uh, even though new things came along, um, and and I know I know this is kind of a uh, older man or people kind of toy uh, foiling. It's a toy after all, yeah. and people have their toys and like buying and 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 getting and more and more toys. But it doesn't make you a better foiler or surfer uh, the other way around. I mean, I see people coming to the beach with too much gear and. They don't really know what to put on, and they always have this kind of feeling that ah, if I would put my 4.5 on, that was perfect for the 4.5, and I was on my five. You know, you always have this feeling that uh, could have been better. Um, so, for one, for one way, I can relate to this uh, hobby uh, that mm -hmm. people have, and, and and part of the hobby is 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 you know being uh, curious and, and to be involved with the industry that uh, 
uh, you're taking part of, especially when it's a fast growing as it is, as wind wind coiling at the moment. Uh, but if if you see, it's kind of the same wave as we had with wind surfing and kite surfing and surfing and like any other trend. Um, and I think if people will pay more attention, spending more time in the water, uh, instead of getting new stuff all the time, there would be a better surf for sure. It's not the first time I've heard that. I mean, I, I talked to some guys, actually, I think it was um, maybe at Nitnat Lake on Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada. And mm -hmm. um, I was out there practicing in very light winds with a, a, a almost a sinker, just like a slight floater, just practicing my, my jibes just on with my board on the water, just turning around. And I came back to shore and they were saying, well, like, you know what, my board is too small or this is not working or I don't have enough. And I said, well, like I was just out there. I said, yeah, but there wasn't enough wind. I said, well, actually, there was enough wind. It just depends on how you want to look at the sport. And, and I do like the way you're thinking about it and breaking that down because there's maybe 10 different aspects of that sport. There's light wind. What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? So it's nice to put yourself into that different mindset and then to try to master all the different steps of the sport so that you can become an overall better wing foiler. Because sometimes if you're in the ocean and the wind shuts off, it's nice to know that you can come in in eight knots and you'll be fine. But if oh, you yeah. never take the time to practice that, then when you're getting into like a, a situation where the wind is super light and you're riding waves, well, then you're not ready for that because you're just going to fall over. So exactly. that aspect of things um, I enjoy. And I've been riding the same foil for the last three years. And um, I got on an Armstrong 1550 V1 mid aspect kind of, and I love it. It's definitely a different mindset and it kind of, it, it, would you say that, I mean, that kind of ties into the passion of the sport or maybe trying to become the best athlete you can be? Is there, it, it was that mindset, maybe something that came from your Olympic campaigns or where, how did you develop that? Because there are certain people with that mindset, but there's not a lot of people are chasing that forever turning wheel of, of the marketing and it's the gear that's going to help me get better. Well, maybe it's because of my background. I'm coming from like a one design class kind of thing. So in the days that I was competing, so there was like one size of sail, uh, mm -hmm. no matter what the wind is, if it's light wind or strong wind. So it's like, this is it. And you got to manage that. And I think maybe this kind of educate me to push myself with the same equipment, no matter what the conditions are. Obviously, this is the extreme. It's not mm -hmm. the way it should be. But, yes, for sure. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I'm looking at myself today, and and if I look at the quiver that I'm, I'm, I'm using, it will be mostly one size of wing, inflatable wing, uh, normally like a five. Uh, I'll have one mast and two front wing and one tail, and that's about it. And this will cover the whole thing, light wind, winging, prone, supping, whatever. Um, and it took me time to dial which sizes that I'm going to use. But once I reach mm -hmm. that, that's, that's it. I don't need anything else. Um, and, and I think uh, I'm, I'm a little bit fed up with the chase after the equipment. 
Um, and I want to have more reliability about what I can do as a person and as a foiler or as a surfer uh, and not what the equipment can do for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not uh, chasing anyone anymore. I'm not uh, competing with anyone anymore. Um, and I want to have this relationship with my equipment that it takes time to, to build. It's like, a, it's like a relationship. And if, you're not, if you have uh, too much equipment and you're not riding it, you cannot have this relationship. That's the way I see it. Very romantic. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like the way you were looking at that because it is true. And it, it may be for a lot of people at home as well who are worried about how much gear they need. Um, you don't need as much as you think to get started. And, and even with the gear that you have, yes, there is some gear that's going to be harder to ride. That makes sense. But if you get yourself a good setup, that setup could actually last you for longer than you think. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. And obviously, my philosophy is not a very good uh, marketing philosophy. It's, it doesn't make sense for people who have shops or, or import stuff um, because you sell less, that's for sure. But uh, that's the way I do it, and that's the way I believe in it. That's that's okay. that. That I think Luke alluded to something that's very important uh, in that, uh, you know, all three of us are riding gear that we've been riding for a while, but it's actually quite good gear that we're on. And a lot of the gear that was made two or three years ago by a number of companies just kind of getting into the wing game was not very good. And it, and in some cases, you could be riding something that, you know, you, you could have an easier time riding something that's not necessarily more recent, but just easier gear to ride. A really, really good example of that is the first uh, foils that were made for free ride windsurfing by a number of companies that didn't really, weren't foiling companies. They were just, you know, windsurfing brands. And then all of a sudden this foiling boom comes in and they had to put something out on the market. So they did. And, you know, it kind of worked, but, it was really challenging to ride. And if you're somebody who kind of looked for as affordable of an option as possible to get into the sport early on, and you got one of those foils, then changing your gear in that situation could actually help you. But I do in general agree with Amit uh, 100% that once you have a, a reasonably good foil, you don't need to be changing the wing twice a year every time a new aspect ratio comes out or a new outline comes out or anything like that. That's probably detrimental to you. Well, maybe maybe to our future sponsors, this is detrimental to <laughs> You know, I've got, I've got people coming to the camps that I'm, I'm running, uh, for example, in Chitama. Um, people that, you know, they've been uh, watermen for many years and, and uh you know, experienced winger doing it for like two years, two and a half years. Um, and they come with like tons of equipment, like mm. seriously. And, 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 and I always, we always ending up using one or two sizes. Uh, and it's always, in the, you know, when, when, when we start the conversation, I mean, they don't know me and whenever they, they want to register to the camera. We start talking on the phone, and we always have this gear conversation. 
what are you writing? What are you bringing? What should I bring? And so on. And, uh, and when I, when I can, uh, when I can see when the person in front of me is a gear freak, uh, and I get this list of like endless front wing, tail wing, and at the end, like, what should I bring? I'll say, just bring it all, <laughs> just bring it all. Uh, and then, I mean, at the end of the time, we're using the one or two sizes. And I think those people, when they finish the camp with me, they come up with a better uh, understanding about equipment and they're getting less and less equipment, that's for sure. I think one aspect of that is it's very hard to know what to buy at the start because all the stores, obviously, their aim is to hopefully sell you something. Um, so you have so many different salesmen selling stuff. And that's when actually Benoit, who is the, um, the designer and owner of On Kiteboarding, came and talked to Tom and I. And he was like, thanks, guys, for kind of starting this podcast because you're bringing real world experience into the market so that people can understand. It's like, hey, like I ride with like I'm riding Armstrong 1550 and I like it. It does very well for this range of conditions. And we're taking the marketing aspect out of it because we're just guys that love the sport and want to give back. And so for that, I can see it. It's very confusing for the everyday consumer because if you log on to the internet and search, like you could you get, get $10,000 or 20 grand worth of stuff. Yeah, you get lost. You definitely get yeah. lost now. Yeah, You, de you definitely get lost and, and people are buying way over too much equipment for the first year because they get lost like two, three boards in one year, two, three foils in one year, two, three wings in one year. This is like crazy. This is like crazy. This is, there's no need for all that. So I mean, when did you, so you went through your whole Olympic career and you as, as, as a waterman, and then why did you decide, or was it just a natural progression to start teaching and getting into, into getting into camps? Yeah. I mean, at the beginning I was working as the national coach back here in Israel and I got tired of working with the Federation and all the politics involved. And I felt there's so much knowledge out there from, with me and so I started working with private people and slowly slowly got bigger and bigger um I spent like two years living in Sinai we had like a kite surfing center my wife and I and um then I was kind of I'm still kind of addicted to moving around and traveling the world like I said I was traveling since I was 12 I was I was moving like eight months a year uh, chasing the competition and, and, and training camps when I was uh, competing. And when I settled in after I quit from racing, uh, I was kind of trying to see how I can keep on moving and um, tried, come, came up with combining um, coaching people and moving together uh, mm -hmm. into this um, uh, really fun environment of work um doing like 10 to 12 camps a year in different locations worldwide and so I'm, I'm traveling a lot and for me that's something which is very very important to keep moving and and exploring this planet and and at the same time working with people and and trying to give uh, as much as i can for my knowledge as a waterman and um 
yeah, trying to 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 live this life the happiest I can and doing what I love. That's that's what it's all about, I think. I think if you want to get a bit esoteric or a little bit deeper, like one of the biggest things we can do here is that transference of joy from one human being to the other. And a lot of masters look at that as a very deep symbolic gesture of, of achieving a level on earth here that that's seen to extend. And I think that's exactly what you are doing. And it's very cool that you've been able to do that. No, thank you for putting it that that's very, yeah, that's, that's, it's very true. I mean, as I said before, I feel like, I feel I'm, I'm very blessed, like, uh, knowing what I want to do since a young age and, and just walking through this path all those years and still being passionate about what I do after for, after so many years in the mm-hmm. ocean, still have the stoked. And, and, and I mean, even today, I had such a great session. I mean, we had this swell, a very clean swell here in Israel. I'm in Israel at the moment and, and, uh it's a winter sweat and i was i was i was so stoked it's like the i just like uh the first wave of my life you know and and for me this is like that's what it's all about mm-hmm. simple very simple in in the sport of winging right now there's a lot of people that are starting to look for some cool destinations to go to and they're also looking to learn um so first of all how would people maybe get in touch with you to find out about their camps um and all that kind of thing. I'm trying to uh, exp- to explore every year a new destination for my camps. Uh, at the moment, the the, the locations uh, that we go through are Peru, Maldives, Senegal, Morocco. Um, obviously, Peru, Panama, um, and you can reach me by the website. It calls expressyourself.com um all the information is done there at the website expressyourself.com um the camps are running from from april uh sorry from september till april okay uh you can find on the website which month uh, exactly which camps are run and and where uh i think i'm not very objective but seriously from all the camps that I'm running at the moment for winging, uh, for people who are looking to ride uh, the energy of the wave and not the energy of the wind. I think Chikama is probably the better, the best option possible. And for Chikama, um, there's kind of, uh, for the registration, people need to send like a video of themselves winging because there's kind of a, um, a minimum level to enter the camp. Like obviously you need to go upwind, jibing, tacking both ways. Uh, anything less than that, as far as level, I think uh, Chikama is probably not the best place for you. Um, the rest of the camps, even uh, earlier level, like a beginner level, can be also an option. But for Chikama, this like a specific level needed to to be to enter the camp. Okay, so. Um, maybe what we can do is walk through some some people who haven't been to your website yet. So they would go there, they would book um, their trip with you, and, and you you said it starts with a phone call. System starts. Yeah, yeah, it starts with a email, uh, and then once we go through the email and all the information is there, for me it's very 
very important to to talk on a personal level. Um, and then once we've done the talk, uh, it's very important for me to see the level of the person that is attending the camp. Um, and nevertheless, it's very important to know that in the camps, it's always no more than nine riders. Uh, so it's a very limited, small number of people entering the camps. Um, and, okay. and for me, it's very important, obviously, to see that there's a connection between me and the person which is coming. Um, so talks are very important. And um, because it's very intimate, private kind of thing. It's not like a big camp that you've got like 30 people and, you know, whoever can join in. It's very intimate kind of thing. And uh, for me, it's important to have the connection with the person before we even meet. And for example, I got two camps coming up now in March and I love the mixture of the people. It's like people coming from New Zealand, Puerto Rico, Switzerland, Hawaii, San Francisco, uh, Israel. So I'm very excited about that. That was kind of a dream oh, wow. for me too. Yeah, that was, uh, I was working mostly with the uh, Israeli people and slowly, slowly it's getting more and more international. Uh, we had two camps with people coming from the States. That was a big, big breakthrough for me. And, and um, this camp is already, yeah, we got, I think, six different nations in, in March. So I'm, I'm very stoked about that for me on a personal level. That's like a, a dream come true. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah, that is pretty exciting. And are people responsible for their own accommodations or is that something that you provide also or? I provide the whole package. It's uh, the package is uh, everything besides uh, the airline ticket. Uh, once you land, uh, if you take uh, Chicago, for example, once you land in Portillo, which is the final destination, everything has been taken care of from airport shuttle, accommodation, uh, obviously the coaching, video analyst, uh, storage, boat use. Uh, I mean, in Chicago, you we're using up to eight hours a day boat boat rides. I mean, that's it's an option. I mean, people. Mm -hmm. Physically cannot do that, but it's an option. It's an option. Okay. So you make it as easy as possible for everybody to kind of enjoy these these spots. And, and that's kind of where I wanted to, to find out because depending on where you live, if you only have a week, it's really nice to be able to go somewhere, have everything organized, be with somebody that has the experience like you have so that you can go and enjoy yourself and then come back home and that kind of thing. So it's good to hear all those aspects of your trips that they are full inclusive in that sense. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, people who join me, they know that everything is being taken care of and they just come to chill and to enjoy themselves. They don't need to hustle about where's the car is coming from and who's the boat driver and is there gas in the boat or, you know, nothing is, there's no hassle. They just enjoy themselves. Okay, no, that's good to hear. People bring their own gear. Um, most of the places that we go to, they're very remote and there's nothing to rent or to repair. So uh, that's all need to be taken in consideration as far as, you know, bringing spare parts and stuff like that. Okay. 
and making sure to check with your airline. I know there's some airlines that are friendlier with gear than others. And actually, this is kind of a cool, um, what are people packing? Are they bringing um, fiberglass boards? Like, are they bringing hardboards? Are they just bringing blow-ups or? No, no, didn't have any inflatable stuff uh, yet. No, everybody's bringing hardboards. Uh, okay. Traveling, I must say, I must say for my experience, not too bad at all. I think the airlines are actually getting better. Okay. Um, I think now most of the airlines uh, are allowing uh, board bags uh, as a, instead of a suitcase. And even without paying, like, I mean, I, I'm working with KLM, Air France. They're, they're great. I mean, they're, they're allowing to send up to 22 kilos uh, with no charge. Uh, so okay. That, okay. Yeah. Some airlines has there been a board bag of choice that you like the best to pack all your winging stuff in? This is something we haven't actually talked about on the podcast yet. Uh, uh, well, m- after years of packing surfing equipment, my philosophy about packing uh, have switched from being very on it, like, you know, to be very half a day, take you to pack all the stuff. And my philosophy now is just chuck everything in the bag and just zipper it up. Seriously, seriously. And obviously now traveling to Chicama, I just take this big windsurf board bag and I, I just put like this in, inside, there's like uh, a subboard, prom board, wing board, two foils, uh, one wing, two wings actually, two one X. Everything is it's like seventy five kilos bag, and it's it's a huge bag, and it just goes, and everything is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, folks at home, we don't need to worry about a thing. Is what we're getting, which is pretty cool. <laughs> no, I was just saying, I don't know if I've ascended to that level of Zen in my packing yet, but. <laughs> Well, the world yeah. champion, you know, we got to give him something. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've done so much effort, you know, packing. It's very, very neat and everything got so smashed. And uh, I, I tried all, all variety of options of packing through the years. And I just came to understanding it, it doesn't really matter. So I just zip it up and send it and hopefully hope for the best. Fair <laughs> enough. I like that. One thing yeah. that is I'm mentioning is that if you're flying with wing surfing gear, you should say that you're flying with kite surfing gear. Uh, with a lot of companies, kite surfing gear is free, and a lot of companies don't know what winging is yet, and you don't want to be paying for wind surfing gear because it's often more expensive than kite surfing gear. So if anybody asks you what's in the bag, you don't say a dead body, you don't say wind surfing gear, you say kite surfing gear. <laughs> better. That's fair. And then insurance is another thing that you could always look into if you're riding with a lot of stuff. I think Tom and when we flew to Punta San Carlos there, we had some, we wanted to make sure our stuff was safe for sure, but um, that would be an, another conversation onto itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to say it was a pleasure to meet you. It was great to find out more about you and actually I would be stoked to go to the, one of these camps in Peru. That would be unbelievable. Yeah, come over, guys. 
Those are two heavy coming movies. And uh, and fun. thanks for, for having me over. And uh, yeah, it's been a blast. Awesome. All right. Well, hope you enjoy your day, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, guys. Aloha. Bye bye. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for joining Tom and I on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.